0: All right, good morning everyone. We are on day three of the Resource Insider Podcast Quarantined Edition. If you're watching this video, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make another note on my log of how long I've trapped at home. Um, today, I'm sitting down with Warren Irwin, the President and Chief Investment Officer of Rosso Asset Management, a mining focused hedge fund based out of Toronto. Now, Warren has been on the podcast before. We've talked to him many times, and he's going to give us an idea of what Rosso is doing to manage the crisis and what he thinks is going on in the world. So, Warren, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes out of your day and sitting down with us today.
1: Oh, no problem at all. I'm glad I, could, uh, glad I could help.
0: So, what was it? A week and a half, two weeks ago, you and I were having drinks in Toronto at the PDAC. And now I'm locked in my apartment in Vancouver, and you are, are where right now?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at my ranch in uh, British Columbia, probably one of the nicer places to wait up to quarantine here. Um, I'm super glad that uh, not more people got uh, the coronavirus at the PDAC. It was uh, obviously a concern for a lot of people, including <coughs> organizers, and... Uh, uh, I thought it was a tremendous conference and I'm very, very glad we were able to, uh, to get it done with, with minimal number of people getting coronavirus. So.
0: Yeah. And I think they had something on the order of 26,000 people there this year, which was down a little bit from the max of 30,000, but you know, all things considered, I would say it was very successful and and I certainly had a, at a very good time and got a lot of value out of it.
1: Yeah. For me, it was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, I was impressed with the organizers. How they um, they had hand sanitizer everywhere, and uh, I imagine that helped quite a bit. And uh, everybody was aware. Everybody was, you know, either fist, you know, pounding the pounding the fists or hitting the elbows or whatever. And uh, so we were we were just in the early days there. Who would have who would have thought that uh, we'd be where we are today within a matter of a few weeks?
0: Well, that's a good place to start. I think. Do you think? we are in the early days of what's going to be happening with the coronavirus. Do you think it's something we'll get through in the next six to 12 weeks, or is this going to have repercussions and uh, uh, an influence on the market and people's lives for the coming year or more?
1: Well, I think we could uh, draw some conclusions from what we've seen going on elsewhere in the world. Uh, China right now, I just got word right out of Hong Kong here that uh, there is um A friend of a friend has a factory in Hong Kong. He's running flat out 110%. Tons of demand for his product. Everybody's back to work. Factories are getting back to work. Uh, People are going about their business in Hong Kong. And um, the only thing really missing out of Hong Kong right now is tourists. So China is turning. Also a friend of mine has um, a, a relative who runs a face mask factory in China. And in the early days of the, the virus outbreak, um, they were basically approached by the government and told them, listen, we need to take all your all your production. And now the, the signals from the government is we won't need all your production, so feel free to start you know, shipping it to where it's needed around the world. So it, it's clear that China is turning. I have another small investment in a company where we're just being inundated um, by the Chinese right now looking for product because uh, – they, during the, the virus, they'd run down their stores quite a bit, and uh, they're looking for certain products is only available in, in Italy. So we, we have a non-Italian source. The source there is marble. Uh, apparently, the Italian quarries are, are having a tough time, if not closed, uh, in producing marble. So we have the Chinese hounding us for marble and for granite. They've got big capital projects that are um, being cranked up, And they're going to be looking the world, scouring the world for product. And um, things are turning in China, that's for sure. And if we could look forward uh, to where we're going to be in another month or so, uh, I'm hoping we could have a similar example where we have made it through. Uh, There are very few new viruses, uh, virus uh, diagnosis happening, and uh, people are ready to get back to business. Because truly, you know what it's like to be stuck in a room for a very short period of time and I think in about a month's time, six weeks time, if this virus is, is petered out, people will be motivated to get back to work and get back making money and get back making the things happen and continue where they left off before. And I think the determination of Canadians and, and Americans um, when this turns will be tremendous to, to get back on track, get things rolling. and. Um, so I'm looking forward to that day, but that day is a few weeks away for sure.
0: Talking uh, you know, to your contacts and the research you've been doing, do you have a feel for what it takes to go the way of China versus perhaps the way it looks like Italy has been going, where it's been really overwhelmed by the number of cases in a relatively short period of time? Um, and do you think we in Canada or the United States are – are prepared to do that, the things that it took for China to recover relatively quickly from this? Or do you think because we are a more liberal uh, environment, people have more freedoms, we're at risk of a a much wider, more uh, prolific spread of the virus?
1: Yeah, that's a a very good question. In Canada, I've been watching, uh, being here in British Columbia, I've been watching the health minister in BC. I think they're taking a very... uh, very thoughtful approach to the, to the matter. And I think we're, we're on top of it. I think people are, um, coming together as a, as a community, as Canadians to, to look out for one another. Um, in the U.S., i S I'm a little concerned when I read stories about what's going on in Florida right now with spring break, people partying it up saying, Hey, I don't care if I catch the virus. I want to party. The virus is just going to be like a flu. I'll get over it. What they don't understand there is they're being quite selfish and that they don't recognize that that virus you bring back to your little town in midwestern u.s from spring break in florida you're going to infect another you know five or six people some of them might be old and, and you cause the death of some older people as a result of it so we are seeing a little bit of that the advantage we do have here in north america right now i think is i think china was slow up slow off the uh, out of the gate i think everybody would agree on that little slower off the gate to realize how significant this pandemic is in Canada and the US we've had this warning and we have no excuse to be laid out of the gate Um, I don't know what happened in Italy Um, it seems to be absolutely out of control Uh, I've heard part of the reason is just the number of old people in Italy it's one of the oldest populations in in Europe the other thing that concerns me obviously is Iran (coughs) Iran uh, you know (laughs) They seem to be taking their own approach, which does not appear to be the correct approach to this. Uh, there's a lot of denial, a lot of uh, nonsense going on in Iran. As you may recall, the person who got one of the people who got infected at the PDAC that I'm aware of, the, the rumor has it they got it from a, an Iranian uh, student who is at the PDAC. So, yeah, Iranians are spreading it around the world. Um, you're hearing it in a lot of different countries, so um I'm hoping that'll that'll slow down a bit, and I hope the iranians get get a grip of what's going on but um I think in Canada we seem to be doing the right thing, but I am concerned in the u s about how flippant people are about about it frankly,
0: so I hadn't thought about this until we're just now us talking, but do you think um from a market perspective, from an investment perspective, the fact that China is kind of ahead of the curve on this one, they're at the front of the curve, they're going to be, they're going to have an opportunity and perhaps take advantage of that opportunity to start buying up assets and, uh, you know, deploying capital around the world. Do you think that they're going to be able to jump on that right now?
1: You know, that's absolutely true. I was just on a conference call this morning with the, uh, with an oil company I'm involved in and, uh, the Chinese are all over us, frankly, they're back to work, they're back to business. Also, uh, the reason I can talk about it is it's a private company, so there's no market impact, but I'm also aware of, um, some, some instances where the Chinese are all over, uh, some public companies right now starting to do the due diligence. And, um, so we'll see where that ends up. Uh, China actually could really benefit here because they'll be first out of the gate. Can you imagine the impact of $30 oil on the Chinese economy going forward here? That's going to be tremendous. And um, that's possibly part of the reason we're not seeing a lot of the industrial commodities getting totally wiped out. Because we know there's going to be a tremendous infrastructure building spree in, in China. And I'll tell you, they won't be spending that money on oil. Oil will be cheap. Yeah. They'll be going around the world hoovering up all the commodities they need to to build their projects
0: so i wanted to ask you about that because i've been talking to a lot of people this week george salamis rick rule Mar- marcel de groot and everyone's talking about gold <clears throat> and that's an obvious safe haven for everything that's going on right now but do you think the stimulus and the, the money that's going to be poured into the global economy actually makes sort of base metals a really, really attractive place to be right now, particularly, obviously, I'm thinking copper.
1: You know, I I own a chunk of the, one of the world's biggest new copper discoveries, the Cascabel Discovery. I own it through Cornerstone, not through Salt Hole. You know, you you have to think, the Chinese are going to get lots and lots of money, and they're going to be hoovering the world for the commodities they need, and copper will be one of them and uh, positively one of the, the main ones the other ones we're looking at it is i don't know if you noticed. one of the top performing uh, metals or if you could call it a metal this year has been coking coal i was sent an article yesterday on that like you know you're looking at iron ore coking coal copper they're going to be in they're going to be needed uh, my view on gold is way different than i think many people in the in the gold bug community, <clears throat> at Rosso, we, we've done an analysis of where we've made our money. In the past 22 years, we've made about half our money from gold juniors. So we we love gold exploration. And right now, I don't have a ton of it there because there aren't a lot of people finding uh, the gold we need to replace the gold that we're mining. The reason I'm bullish on gold long term is not you know, that any... Traders will jump on it because of this crisis or that crisis, like a lot of people think. And you're noticing there's virtually no relationship between a crisis and the price of gold. The big bullish thing for gold long-term is we are not finding enough gold. We are at the forefront at Rosal. We are at the forefront of gold discoveries. We're not finding the gold and the size we need to replace the gold that's being mined. So one of two things have to happen here. The price of gold – Needs to go higher, so a lot of the projects that are currently uneconomic will become economic. Yeah. Our gold demand is to be reduced, and with the central bank buying of buying of uh, gold, one has to think that um, the, the demand does not appear to be abating here. And then every year too, as you're seeing, the the inflation rates around the world are like two like percent in Canada. Most people who are building mines know that's baloney. There are There's inflation in in construction to build mines. So we're having higher mining costs. The mines that are out there, the grade is decreasing every year. The mine lives are decreasing. We're not finding the gold. The only hope I could think of us finding any reasonable amount of gold is in copper gold porphyries. And that's that's why, you know, obviously Barrick has come to that conclusion too. And that's why they're looking at Freeport because – you know, you're looking at tens and tens of millions of ounces of gold you can get when you uh, when you buy the Grassberg deposit. Same story with Cascabel in Ecuador that I'm involved in. We over 20 million ounces of gold. It's the only place you get big quantities of gold is in these copper gold porphyries. So I'm bullish on gold, not for the financial panic or anything like that, but I just think that cost of production going up, we're not finding it, we're producing it. It's just a matter of time before... Uh, Things gradually tighten up and it'll happen over a period of years.
0: Well, it's an interesting perspective because most people that I talk to about gold, uh, you know, they're focused on <clears throat> quantitative easing and the printing of money and uh, the dev- devaluation of the dollar. They don't talk about the actual supply and demand of that. And For someone that is new to thinking about that, what would you say is the biggest demand for gold? Is it, is it central banks buying up gold and storing it in vaults? Is there anything else that is creating that demand?
1: Well, there has been, uh, really it's been, from what I've looked at, and I haven't, I don't follow it as closely as a lot of the gold bugs, but we're getting a lot of central bank buying from, from the Chinese. The Chinese are buying a fair amount of gold, and uh, we'll see if that continues here. Um, central bank buying has been a big, a big factor uh, in the price of gold over the last number of decades. I remember when the, you know, the stupid Canadian government was selling their gold, it was putting a lid on all the gold prices around the two three hundred dollar level as the Canadian government's blowing out all their gold. Um, central bank buying and selling and the whims of those central banks have a big impact on demand for gold, and uh, that's one one thing you know people talk about. But you know you never know what this coronavirus could do. Maybe the central bank of uh, uh, of China will say, "Listen, well, I think we bought enough gold for now. Let's let's do other things with our money." and uh, you never know what these central banks are thinking. That's a bit of a wild card in, in, in gold, yeah. really. But in general, if, if the central bank buying stays roughly where it is today, we're we're gonna have a supply problem with gold and prices will have to go higher.
0: So you are known for taking big swings on exploration plays. You mentioned Casabell. Obviously, Next Gen is a big part of your portfolio yeah. that you've been <clears throat> pretty vocal on over the last few years. Is what is going on right now? changing your strategy in the short to medium term i mean we're seeing a lot of opportunities in cash flowing producing companies that they've been cut in half or or more in some cases are you repositioning to any of those at this point or are you sort of staying the course with some of the more uh higher risk expiration plays
1: yeah i'm I'm staying the course (laughs) but actually you know the all the ones i'm involved in right now are not I got involved in Cascabel before the discovery. I got involved in NextGen before the discovery. So they're, they're kind of blue chip right now. Um, but to give you a sense of how cheap NextGen is, we, we bought it from a distressed seller, and we tried to beat up all the sellers. And we weren't exactly in a great market when we were buying the stock. We paid $0.60 cents a share. The Last I looked, it's, what, $0.85 cents a share after the world's biggest and richest uranium discovery. And, um, and you know, the, the economics, um, of, of the next gen discovery is absolutely incredible.
0: Okay. Do you, you're in some more remote, more exotic jurisdictions such as Ecuador. Do you have a. Do you have any concerns about that at this point, given the lack of mobility of people moving around the world, getting geologists and equipment and supply chains and all the things? Are you more comfortable working in a place like Saskatchewan or investing, in a case like Saskatchewan? Or are you still okay with the, the Ecuador's of the world, which are a little more challenging to get to?
1: Yeah, well, Saskatchewan obviously is the gold standard as far as um, mining jurisdiction. Uh, the cool thing about NextGen, we've got the former premiers on our board. The current government is highly supportive of what we're doing. The First Nations are highly supportive. We're creating a commodity that will definitely help uh, reduce carbon emissions globally. So, and we're we're also in mining it in the hard rock, not in the not in the sandstone, waterlogged sandstone like Chemical is. So, there's a lot of good things going for us. I've been involved in, in Ecuador for, for, for quite a long time. I was one of the largest investors in um, in Fruto del Norte through uh, Aurelian when we sold that to uh, Kinross uh, some years ago. So I've watched the the political changes within Ecuador. And uh, they seem in South America in general, seems to ebb and flow with respect to whether they support mining or not. And right now, Ecuador... I think more than ever wants to support mining, especially now, they're they're an oil producer, but at oil at $30, you have to think that they may not be making a ton of money at that. They'll be looking for alternative revenue sources. Mm-hmm. And so when you combine that with their tremendous geology there and the fact that we could go in and find massive discoveries like uh, Cascabel, like when you take a look at Solgold, um, their exploration properties in in Ecuador, I think, are almost without peer globally. So, um, yeah, it does hurt that Ecuador has shut the borders recently. I think that's short-term pain for long-term gain. Uh, I think Ecuador will be back in, back in business once this virus is over with, and I think they'll be supportive of mining for some years to come. And uh, for the Ecuadorian people, uh, there could be tremendous upside for them having uh, first world countries in there are using the same environmental standards we use here in Canada, uh, creating mines that are, are generating a lot of wealth for the Ecuadorian people and the government and creating jobs for, uh, for people. It's, uh, it, it could be a real Cinderella story uh, if the right things are done here over the next number of years.
0: Yeah. Now, a lot of parallels have been drawn between what's going on now and the 2008 global financial crisis. Do you think we're in a similar environment to that or do you see a lot of differences in terms of what's happening today?
1: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. Young people ask me about 08, but the older timers like myself, we start talking about, you know, 87, right? Um, (coughs) Yeah, this is obviously uh, very different than than 08. 08 was obviously a real estate collapse Mm -hmm. uh, based on, a bunch of nonsense. Um, what we're doing today is nobody. There, there's really no precedents for this, other than perhaps the Spanish flu back in the early 1900s. Um, but th- this uh, this uh, pandemic will will eventually end here shortly, and not unlike 08, uh, the governments will be around the world 100. Percent behind this and getting ourselves out of whatever slump we get ourselves into so the similarities of 08 would be the joint actions of governments around the world to get our economies back on track Uh, the things that are dissimilar is that the uh, the reasons we're going into this 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 pandemic is uh, is largely uncharted water we haven't had something like this for about 100 years or so Mm -hmm. and it'll be but it's something as China is proving, we could get over this very quickly. So, you know, I think you know you're hearing out of the U.S. I understand Goldman had a call the other day. You know, their their experts are telling them they get out of 150 million Americans infected with this. So I'm going, if the Chinese had about a hundred thousand, to go from a hundred thousand to 150 million. Um, Frankly, there would have to be a, a massive meltdown in the American health system and American society for that to occur. So I, I truly hope that is indeed not the case. I hope the U.S. can do a job to stop to stop the virus before it gets anywhere near those numbers. Um, so we are in uncharted territories. Do I know when it's going to end? I don't. I don't think anybody does. You're hearing all sorts of things from different experts uh, some experts I think have uh, an incentive to get people wired up you know fired up and excited and panicking because um, that gets them more paid television spots you know so it's tough to know what's going on all I know is from what I'm seeing here in in Canada is uh, people are are generally acting maturely trying to, uh, people who can stay at home are staying at home and I cannot imagine that we'll get to the numbers that that The experts on the Goldman call would be, were predicting if we do get there, it should be a complete embarrassment to Western society, frankly.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's interesting uh, what a different perspective it's forcing people to take. So just this morning, about 20 minutes before I got in this call with you, I was reading an article posted on Vice Media. Uh, do you know Vice? It's a very, very liberal yeah. yeah. So it was something like co- what, copper needs to be everywhere because it's uh, it's a disinfectant and it's <clears> sterile. It's a, and it's a, a completely pro copper article. Um, and I was just thinking, like, what is the world coming to when Vice Media <laughs> is is maybe inadvertently becoming pro mining? And I do wonder. Um, and I, I haven't thought this through very well yet, but I do wonder about the impacts this will have in shifting people's views about what we need to be focused on, where money needs to be spending. You know, it's been such a, the world's been so focused on climate change and really uh, a very, very left-leaning agenda in the media. And I do wonder if this is going to have an impact on that and shift us <clears throat> further to the right into more of a protectionist and a conservative view on, on what we need to be doing in terms of the economy, in terms of resource development, in terms of safety. I don't know if you have any view on that ramble.
1: Without a doubt, this coronavirus will change the priorities of citizens around the world, without a doubt. Yeah. How it's changed my priorities is um, when I get out of this quarantine, I'm going to party like hell, man. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I imagine in about a month's time, uh, a lot of people are going to be thinking that way. So uh, I'll tell you, man, we're ready to rip it. I'm ready to rip it up when we get out. It's interesting about that vice vice media situation because uh, you know it sounds like Robert Freeland must have gotten hold of them because uh, that's been something Robert's been pushing forever. Is um, is the antibacterial, antiviral benefits of having uh, copper in uh, on doorknobs and door handles? Yeah, Um, I haven't. You know, if if you take Robert's word for it, and uh, I haven't done any background checking of his claims. But if if his claims are indeed correct, and I imagine they are, um, it could be uh, it could be a very interesting view on copper. And uh, my recollection is Robert had mentioned something like the U.S. military is uh, is is using copper increasingly for a lot of their specifications for medical facilities. So that could be absolutely fascinating. And when you look at if that's gonna if they're gonna start retrofitting a fair amount of Hospitals, or at least doors to a lot of public buildings, with copper, and you combine that with the demand for copper from uh, the electrical vehicle uh, trends. Copper will be a very fascinating metal to have here, and uh, and so it's it's uh, th- there is indeed an argument that uh, being in the base metals right now, given what's coming down the pipe in the future, it may not be the, the worst place in the world to be. So.
0: We're coming up on time, Warren, and I know you got a lot to do and a lot on your plate, but is there any advice you'd give for investors at home, people listening to this, who are looking at their portfolio, they've seen it decimated over the last week or two, what should they be doing? Should they be sitting and waiting? Should they be using this as a buying opportunity? Do you have any comments on that?
1: Yeah, well, things are going to get probably rougher. So, the stuff that the investors own that you know is garbage and you bought it on a punt or a, uh, advice from your friend, chances are that the likelihood of that recovering won't be won't be there. The good stuff will recover. The stuff that's made discoveries, the guys the guys that are in production, that sort of thing, <laughs> that indeed will recover. And don't be panicked into selling. it. If you're looking at uh, at buying, uh, now's the time to start looking at where you'd like to enter. Uh, there's some tremendous situations out there, even depending on your risk profile, everything from, uh, you know, uh, the massive dividends you're earning on Canadian bank stocks right now to, um, you know, if you want to get a little riskier, uh, and, and more optimistic on the Russian Saudi situation, perhaps you may want to stomach a little bit of oil dividends in time, or there's one I was looking at the other day, Labrador, uh, iron ore royalty. Um, you know, if you're, if you're of the belief that, um, that there's indeed going to be a demand for iron ore and uh, and coal going forward to rebuild the Chinese economy and get these infrastructure programs going. That could be an interesting one. So right across the spectrum, and then of course there's the ones like I own, which are like the next gens of the world, where you're buying a discovery in the ground in one of the world's best mining jurisdictions with tremendous economics, and you're paying not much more than I paid for it many years ago prior to the discovery. So. There's some really good value right across everything from dividend paying to royalty. Some of the royalties are super cheap. Um, the producers are obviously cheap. And then s- some of these uh, projects which have made the discovery, the resources are sitting in situ. They've been drilled up. We know what they have, we know what they are. We know the economics if they are put into production. Those are super cheap too. But my sense is, it certainly appears to me as if there is a bit of time Everybody assess their own individual risk profiles, but there'll be some time to start hoovering up some of these great values if you do have the additional cash, but, but stick to stuff that's, that's going to make it through the cycle here. Some of these yeah. won't make it through the cycle and try and stay away from those.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Warren, for taking the time today.
1: Oh, thank you. Very nice chatting with you. Cheers.